You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Road. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. 16 cards are on the ballot for our next monthly brewing project. Today we are joined by Brian Madden and Arun Singh to assess the nominees and find the most promising card for Modern and Pioneer. But which card is the spiciest of them all? Only the voters can decide. That's all coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to Faithless Brewing. On today's episode, I know you are all expecting the Serum Visions gang to remain with us, and they sort of have did. But for now, I'm joined by the most beautiful CEO we have, Daniel Pedrona, Cape Dan Online. Dan, how are you doing? Doing great, Emmy. Yeah, that's my bad. I did promise everyone that Brian and Arun would be here to record this this segment, but the CEO always lies. So technically, the CEO was more right than ever, and Arun and Brian were here for the first time we recorded this. And then the backup, Shiggy's backup, the backup for Shiggy. Well, we shouldn't say who. <laughs> Someone's backup recording. Someone's backup recording. Cusco's poison. Completely imploded. Implo- I won't say, we won't name names. We won't give names. Let's just say... J Wiggy. No, that's, <laughs> that's too vague. <laughs> Jiggy W. How about that? Jiggy W, for anyone that doesn't know. Well, someone's backup disappeared. And so that hour of recording was forsaken. But the good thing is Shibi also forsaken us during that episode. Which means 40% of the discussion with me and Brian is still going to be here just at the end of the episode. For the record, we do typically make a backup recording for exactly this situation, and that one also failed, so I'm not really sure what went wrong. <laughs> like, a comedy of errors. We've we've survived <laughs> the loss of single audio tracks in the past, but this one time, they both failed at the same time. I don't know what happened. And the first alternative I, of course, gave was, okay, let me try and replace Shiggy's part with myself, and it was like me doing a funny accent trying to replace... Shiggy, and it was like me chatting with myself, and it just became too chaotic, so we had to go for an alternative. I'm pretty bummed that that's not actually what is going to end up getting released. We, we had this whole plan where we just had Emmy and Brian, and then we didn't have Arun's files, so Emmy said, I'll, I'll just perform the role of Jiggy Wiggy myself, you know, and do a funny voice. You know the worst <laughs> Say part? Say what he would have said. You know the worst part? People are going to acclaim for the lost file, for the Emmy and Shiggy file. Right, because, oh, oh, yeah, I just wanted to play reality chip and combo. That's that's what I do. <laughs> I just talk about my love for combo for 40 minutes straight. Yo, yo, this card is sick. <laughs> this is sick. We can do so many combos with it. Well, maybe next month another file will fail and then you'll have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I will eventually submit. But with that being said... We will have to go alongside Dan for the first few cards of this until you eventually get released back to me and uh, via Brian. That's right. So, Emmy, 
loves these cards so much that he's talking about them for the second time. If I'm not mistaken, the worst part is all my favorite cards are only on the second half. So it's not like I just can't get all excited about them again. Because all the toolbox cards are at the end. Alright, so what are we talking about here? We are talking about our monthly project. This is a new initiative that we've started up with a gang from Serum Visions, that is Brian Madden and Arun Singh. We pick a card, spend a series of weeks on it, because as we learn from Serum Visions, iterative brewing is really what makes it possible to learn about the ins and outs of different cards, try a few things, see what works, see what doesn't, pursue a few concepts to their logical conclusion. And in order to choose what card, we turn to the Faithless family, that is our patrons in our Discord, to nominate cards which we then vote on, or rather which you then vote on. And we have 16 cards on the ballot for next month. Exactly. So you people submit them, then you people vote for them, and then we work on them. And we see if we can do something at least half decent. We can promise that. We try. So Emmy and I are going to go through the 16 cards. Each one is accompanied by a little pitch by the person who nominated the card. After that, if you would like to vote on the card, you can do so by joining our Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. We are, although we have an international flair now, we are at core an American-based podcast, which means that in order to actually have your Democratic vote count, you got to cough up that cash. <laughs> because at the end, it's all capitalism. Exactly, exactly. But realistically, it can be as little as, little as a dollar a month, a dollar a show, whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, we really appreciate that. That helps us keep going, helps us pay for our costs, our editing, etc. You'll also get benefits. You'll get access to our Discord channel. If you're interested in Faithless Brewing merch, we have stickers, we have tokens, we have playmats. If you're getting ready to hit up the RCQs and want to represent in style for the Faithless family, you can find all of that at our Patreon as well. And exactly that. Every single Patreon has helps us keep going. Even a single bag is more than a show of appreciation than the money itself. But also money. I'm not going to say money doesn't matter. I'm not going to lie to these poor people. All right. So, Emmy, uh, do you want to kick us off? Yes. So, we're starting with one of the cards that I think I have been proposing to you and David a few too many times, which is just going all in into the multiple copies of your Pyromancer, and this is one of the best copies of them, which is Sedgemore Witch. Two and a black... 3 mana 3 2 human warlock with menace, ward, pay 3 life, and magecraft, so almost the same as the other effects, but at least a, lead, a bit better with some stuff, which is whenever you cast or copy an instant sorcery spell, create a 1 1 black pest. That when it dies, you gain 1 life. Ara, Ferry Vandal writes, a 3 2 menace that makes blockers against life while resisting removal can be that bad, right? I imagine this would be a staple if it costs 2 instead of 3, but I will take what I can get. I imagine this will be a staple if it costs two instead of three. Gosh, how many times have we said that about cars lately? No, no. <laughs> it's the ex- I, I laughed a lot when we recorded this originally because we had just finished recording Shinifei, and I think one of our ending statements was exactly that phrase. So the episode, last episode ended with you saying that, and it began with Ara saying that about a different three-mana drop. <laughs> Sedgemore Witch is from Strixhaven. During Strixhaven's season, we actually spent a week on this card, and it was really interesting, right? Magecraft is not quite the same as... What is Spellcraft? Not Spellcraft. Prowess, or whatever the trigger is for Monastery (laughs) It's a slightly different trigger, right? It actually works off copying things. 
in addition to casting instants and sorceries. So if you want to do something like ground rift or a show of confidence, plumb the forbidden, you can get some tricky stuff going that way. It, that actually doesn't work with equivalent cards like Young Pyromancer. But I think that Ara is exactly correct that you'd be more likely to find success playing Sedgemore Witch alongside the premier version of this effect, which is Young Pyromancer. And actually, we have seen some decks like that recently in Pioneer. I believe last week or the week before, David and I talked about some Grixis brews in Pioneer that were, in fact, playing Sedgemore Witch alongside Young Pyromancer. So hope is not lost for this by any stretch. Yeah, also the fact, the best advantage that Sedgemore Witch has over straight up Young Pyromancer is it how it works with copies, mostly storm-like effects. So you have this Chuman. Mm-hmm. What's the name of the Chuman village rights? Plum the Forbidden. With Plum the Forbidden, where you just go Chumana, you do zero life, you draw a card for each token and get all the tokens back. Exactly. And don't underestimate the fact that these tokens gain a life when you sacrifice them. I didn't really think that much of it, but Brian Madden in the past has worked on some really sweet, it's like a Bolus of Citadel deck that actually uses the life gain from Sedgemore Witch in conjunction with cards like Plum the Forbidden. I think he played Weather the Storm in that deck as well. It was like a weird Citadel Storm combo where the life gain from Sedgemore Witch actually provided an angle that you actually couldn't find another card. So I do think Sedgemore Witch has some promise, would take us in some surprising directions, but like Ara, I wish it cost two mana. Yeah, we all do. Uh, until we will face it costing two mana, we will just say, why does this cost two mana? Because we magic players complain about good cards and about bad cards equally. Just depends on what side of the thing we're on. Exactly. All right, next card up is Marionette Master, four black black, creature, human, artificer. One three with Fabricate three. Fabricate says that when this creature enters the battlefield, you either put three plus one plus one counters on it, or you create three one one colorless servo artifact creature tokens. Interesting choice on all these fabricate cards, but it's especially interesting on Marionette Master because the second ability says whenever an artifact you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, target opponent loses life equal to Marionette Master's power. So there's actually really interesting incentives to put the three counters directly onto the master, get a four power Marionette Master, then maybe sacrifice other artifacts in your deck. Uh, like Treasures, for example, for a quick kill. Marionette Master was nominated by Kon Kabalafkas, who writes, This is a win-con that sidesteps common answers and play patterns. Artifact token creation is much easier with the rise of food, clues, and treasure. I have seen this card a lot because there was this guy at my LCS who just loved playing bad Ursa decks. So, instead of being a reasonable human being and just playing top their sword combo, he was going trying to go deep on Marionette Master. Okay. And what was he sacrificing to trigger the Master? He just had stuff like top their foundry he had, oh, and Grinding Station. So, oh. with Grinding Station, he also got like, you get like, once you get the Marionette Master, every single artifact you just get into play, breeds, you can sacrifice it to grind for. Two deal for damage to your opponent. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's so sweet. So he just managed to go pretty with zero mana artifacts and such. If I remember correctly, he was also playing Shigi's favorite, Arayo. Okay, all right. Yeah, the last time that I played Marionette Master was during our Dollhouse of Horrors week, which was a few months back. Yes. Another way to get the Master into play, alter its power. And in that deck, I think I was also playing Treasure Map. 
which can either ramp you up to six for the marionette master or provide those three treasures to get the instant kill. And I was actually pretty surprised at how powerful the master is once it hits play. Like very often it looked like I had nothing going on, but I realized that I was just one master away from instantly dealing 20 damage. So it's a surprisingly powerful card. However, it does cost six and that's like a huge amount. So it's, it's definitely a challenge to like figure out how to get this into play. The biggest problem with a card costing six is that either you manage to find out which you cast it in which you start wondering, hey, why I'm not casting Primeval Titan? Or B, you find out which you reanimated and you start pondering, hey, why am I not reanimating Argon of Cruelty? Yeah, and I think that Brian Madden hit this exactly right. I mean, he, he immediately said that this is one of his first loves. He played it a lot in Standard and that it has absolutely zero chance in Modern exactly because of better options like Archon of Cruelty, Primeval Titan, etc. However, if this card does win, we've got Pioneer, the new Brewer's Paradise, and I, I think Pioneer is like the perfect speed for a card like Marionette Master. Yeah, it actually might. I think you can hear Pippin purring. Yes, Pippin. That's Emmy's cat, one of his two cats, endorses Marionette Master. <laughs> he actually endorses. He's just looking at the card in love. He wants his servos. But yeah, so Marion Master might be very suited for our beautiful, magnificent Pioneer Brewer. I think if this card wins, I'm gonna do my best, submit a few ideas, and then just let David do his magic. No, and David loves this card. I, I think it's super unique. So. <laughs> Sweet option. Perfect. Next card up. Next card up. A pretty big reminiscent of the first card. We have Jason Trees nominating Monastery Mentor. So a 3-mana 2-2 two two instead of 3-2 with Prowess, and whenever you cast a non-creator spell, create a 1-1 one one white monk creator token with Prowess. Jason writes, Monastery Mentor is somewhere between very good to broken in Legacy and Vintage. It's simply here and there in Modern, but no real standouts. Would love to see it if we can break it in Modern and Pioneer. So, I think we have discussed this a few times before. Why does Monastery Mentor shine in Legacy and Vintage while struggling to the web in Modern? It's because of how creatures are fought in each format. Hmm. In Modern, creatures are fought via removal. In Legacy and Vintage, they are fought via Contraspells. Removal is not as common of an occurrence for most decks. If Monastery Mentor survives, you win. The thing is, in Legacy or Vintage, most of your creatures are not resolving, so you want to resolve something that is gonna stick, that if it sticks, it wins. While in Modern, most creatures are gonna resolve, they're just not gonna survive. That's why we prioritize ETVs instead of static effects. So in the higher-powered formats, if Monastery Mentor resolves, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm toast. <laughs> I have no chance. I barely have any removal, and it's just gonna steamroll over me. But in Modern and Pioneer, if Monastery Mentor resolves, it's like, okay, do I want to blow my Unholy Heat now, or do I just want to, like, save it? <laughs> Can I wait if they tap down and use my Bone Crusher, my Shock, my Double Burn and Six Ping, my Teferi Bounce, my Solitude, my Fury, my Unholy Heat, my Bolt, my Brazen Borrower Bounce? So it's not all bad, right? Like, assuming you cast Mentor, maybe you hold priority, cast a spell, maybe two spells. What you're left with is a prowess monk, so it's it's not just like a one one elemental token from Young Pyromancer. This is a slightly better creature, but it's still not quite enough. I mean, in order to make this card work, you need to actually craft your deck around having mentor in play. Yes, or I think the best way that I have seen mentor being played in modern is in the sideboard shooting like a Soyuz control. 
where your opponent would say where most of the removal and you just go, okay, turn three, mentor. Exactly. The other way is to have a deck that ignores my Mystery Mentor, doesn't even play it, and then just accidentally brings it in. And then your opponent's just like, hmm. And then you just remind yourself of Legacy and Vintage where you're like, okay, now we need removals for my game two and three against Asterius Control. So I don't want to be too harsh on Monastery Mentor because it has more pedigree than any other card on this list. In fact, the Serum Vision guys spent a whole month or more on, on Monastery Mentor early in their podcast, um, and they had some pretty sweet ideas for it. I know Jiggy had played it in, I don't know if it was main deck or sideboard, in some of those Arayo brews, some of the grinding station breach concepts. It, it has homes, for sure. And I think in Pioneer it has not been sufficiently explored yet. No, Exactly. So we have been discussing this a lot. We just need to play like 12 Young Pyromancer in Pioneer. And like the best Young Pyromancer is Young Pyromancer. And then you just have like three other effects, I think, which are Sedgemore Witch, Puppet Master, Mario Master. What's the name of the Mario Stitcher? Puppet Stitcher? Puppet Stitcher makes decayed tokens, yeah. Yeah, and Mastery Mentor. So I think we just... I think if either Sedgemore Witch or Monastery Mentor wins... Either of them winning is going to make the other see play, because it's really common that if you play one, you might just play the other. Hmm. Okay. I just don't have the stomach for that many three drops, personally. You just play, um, they also unearth, which I love. Can't stay away. All right. <laughs> we just play four, can't stay away. I'll allow it. Next card up. Weaver of Harmony. One green enchantment creature. Sneak Druid. Two, two. Other enchantment creatures you control get plus one, plus one. But the real exciting part is its activated ability. Green and tap. Copy target activated or triggered ability you control from an enchantment source. You may choose new targets for the copy. And then in parentheses, mana abilities can't be targeted. Weaver of Harmony is nominated by Kilgore Trout 503 who has written... A special message just for me. <laughs> he says, what is that, Cave Dan? You want more cards that do nothing when you cast them? Yes. <laughs> you prefer cards that require other cards and mana to accomplish something notable? Okay, if you say so. Let me introduce Weaver of Harmony. Sprinkle some copies of Weaver of Harmony into any enchantment concoction to spice things up in your love life. When all else fails, cast four of them and beat down. So, I love this card. I have never tried to make this card work because I'm too much of a coward, but I have ever always wanted to. I think I have a 5-0 poster with this, which was a random one of an enigmatic I never drew. <laughs> and I imagine you never tutored for it. No, sir, I used it once, and it copied two Omen of the Seas, so it half won me a game. Okay. So, Weaver of Harmony is absolutely amazing, especially with... There's only other two good trigger-generating creatures that are enchantments in modern, which are Spirited Companion and Sissies that I can think of the top of my head, which gets buff, which get use of the two paragraphs in the card. Because I think if you want to play this, you need it to be both a lord that's allowing you to play to pressure your opponent alongside a way to generate card advantage, or value of the activated ability. I don't think that you need it to be a lord. I feel like that's a distraction. I would look first to just like how many enchantments that are like on par roughly with the format's power level can I play and how many of them like incidentally have a trigger. Chain to the Rocks, Oath of Nyssa, Fable of a Mirror Breaker. I mean, any saga is going to have triggers. 
Faithful of the Mirror Breaker might be one of the best alongside with the first and second trigger. The problem is you want most of them to be two mana, so you can be or one mana of course, so you can you can play this on curve, like play the weaver into an enchantment that you can copy the trigger. Right, it's never on curve, right? The fact that you have to wait a turn and then have an extra green is like a little bit of a bummer. But that's okay. I mean, as long as we go into it understanding that it's going to be a bonus that will happen some of the time, don't replace any in actual enchantresses with Weaver of Harmony, for example. No, but no. But you could have this in addition to that yeah. as like another powerful thing so that you're taxing the opponent's removal. And if any of your things survive, whether that's Eidolon of Blossoms, Weaver of Harmony, uh, Sithis, like you mentioned, any... Uh, then you can just go off with your enchantment core. Like, I, I think this actually this card is actually really interesting. One of our brewers, Lurking Evil, has been building a lot of Weaver of Harmony decks in Pioneer, and well, I haven't actually got to try them yet. They look super promising. Is there any good activated ability from enchantments besides channel? So, for example, this copy says Colossal, Colossal Sky Turtle. Oh, from an enchantment source? Okay, so even when you're channeling the Sky Turtle, you can copy. Yeah, exactly. So I'm that's wondering sweet. if besides channelers and our activated ability, that's interesting. I think that's actually a pretty interesting interaction because you can go three mana, bounce two things on turn three, or you can go four mana, double eternal witness, which is allowing you to go borderline infinite because you can just revive this turtle because it's a cost of the ones you copy. So it's four mana, buy back a card. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I actually think there's a huge amount of things to do with this, just because it's so open-ended, like, once you're just looking for enchantments with triggers. Triggers or activated abilities, I mean, those are two different styles, and almost every enchantment uses one of those two. Urza Saga, for example, just, you know, copy Chapter 3 or something, or get two constructs. Yeah, it's most likely you, you just get um, four constructs for six mana. You just go opponent, same step, tap tap four mana, get a construct, copy the ability, um, upkeep, make a construct, copy the ability. Even something like, what is that card? Unbridled Growth, right? The Pioneer Mishra's Bubble, activated ability, sack, draw a card, copy that if you want. The possibilities are, are literally endless, and when you look at decks like, uh, I mentioned Lurking Evil has been working on enchantment decks, it's like a who's who of like the playable enchantments in Pioneer, they all have triggers. So the question this just becomes, does Weaver of Harmony actually pull its weight? And I think it would be interesting to try out a few different concepts here and test it out. It also got this enigmatic trigger, which is pretty huge, which is one of the most powerful like triggers on its own. Exactly. And enigmatic is a bit of a real deck in Pioneer, so maybe it's a way to rebuild that deck around it. So a lot of interesting stuff to consider. Next card up is a perennial favorite among the Faithless family. This card has been on the ballot three times now four times it was on the ballot last month for example it was on the ballot at least once before and i know that the serum visions guys have also spent a month on this i'm talking about painter's servant two mana artifact creature scarecrow one three as painter's servant comes into play choose a color all cards that aren't in play spells and permanents are the chosen color in addition to their other colors Nominated this time around by Spencer, who writes, It seems like Painter Servant could do some cool things with Sign of Draco and Sanctum of Ugin. I recognize that most Sion <laughs> lists don't have room for a colorless lamb, but I bet we could figure something out with a month of collective brewing. So I don't think this specific combo actually works because Painter will turn off the colorless aspect. Um, yeah. And they will no longer work. But, I mean, Spencer's absolutely right that there's so many combos here. Color matters is just this vast 
unexplored space in magic. So you don't know how excited she and Brian were about this card because they just love going all in combos. They were just reminiscing themselves about the episode where they just talked about this nonstop. And I was like, <laughs> but can we make this fair? And they were like, no. Well, didn't you once try a deck? Was it you or was it Mana Symbol? It was just like jammed four Veil of Summer's main deck it was and suck. just hope for the best. <laughs> okay. Just, it, I think it was four Veil, four Dispute, four of the bad Veil. So we have Veil of Summer and Veil of Bottom. Oh, so just like all this anti-blue hate. Yeah. And just hope you get paired up against blue decks. And if you don't get paired against blue decks, hope you draw your Painter Servant. Yes. <laughs> did it work? I don't, I, I don't think it did. I think he went like 2-3 and because one of them was against a poor Sodius player who never stood a chance. Like, imagining you're just playing a Sodius, you're just going through your day and, and your opponent goes like, turn 3, Painter Servant, you say, okay, I'm just going to remove it. You play the Fetid, they play Dispute. And it just goes downhill from there. You just play Counterspell, they play Bale. Or you're playing a Shun deck and you go turn one Thotis and your opponent goes turn one Bale. Game one, turn one. I just don't want to live in that world. So that's like a fair-ish take on Painter-Servant combos. Um, I know that Brian really loves the idea of having Painter-Servant in play alongside Iona Shield of Ameria to just completely lock the opponent out. One of his suggestions was exactly that, creativity x equal 2. Okay. I'm intrigued by the idea of like, okay, what about Painter Servant on green? And then I just need to get Woodland Bellower into play. And then I can search for any creature CMC3 or less. I can get a clone. I can get a Glass Pool Mimic because it will now be a green creature in my deck. <laughs> get another Woodland Bellower. Wait, is that a win? That's a win, right? It should be. I mean, you end up with as many Woodland Bellowers as you have Glass Pool Mimics in your deck. And then the last card has to give them haste. Tuk tuk. Tuk Tuk Rebel Fort? Okay. <laughs> I think I tricked Zach into wasting some tickets on this. I probably owe him 20 tickets now. <laughs> I say this out loud. I don't know if he ever pulled it off, but you're almost hiding that combo in your mana base thanks to the Glass Pool Minics. And Woodland Bellower, it's no prime time, but it's not that bad. It is. <laughs> it is. But <laughs> it is that bad. That's a creativity x equal to win. No, it isn't, it, isn't, it isn't because you're playing a lot of creatures. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the creativity would hit a glass pull mimic and a painter's servant <laughs> or something. <laughs> so that's not going to work. But is it a shape a new way? No, it's not. Hmm. All right, well, it's tricky, right? The, the answer is not right in front of us, but that's why we have a whole month. Is it a win-win? Hmm. So, Felidar, Kiki, Karmic, Sacrifice, Six, Bellower... Bellower into Ralier Monitor. I think I can find a way in there. Kiki Felidar. I think if I see. I'm like watching the math equations yeah. show up behind Emmy's head right now. On I think screen. if I sit down for 40 minutes, I can find a Woodland thing. It's going to require a lot of bad creatures in your deck. But I'm 99% sure you can get a Woodland Bellower trigger. And it's also going to be like. In the middle of that, you're going to have Kiki and Felidar on the board at the same time. Like, 80% of the time. So, Painter Servant has not won a vote yet, but maybe this month will be the month. Maybe, finally, they're going to make a combo with it. All right, Emmy, what's next? So, next, we have a lovely piece of grinding value. The opposite. 
Finally, we have animation model. One colorless mana for an artifact that reads, whenever one or more plus one plus one counters are placed in a permanent you control, you may pay one. If you do, you create a one one servo artifact creature token. And it has the activated ability, three mana tap, choose a counter on target permanent on player, give that permanent or player another kind of that, another counter of that kind. So you have the ability to make servos whenever you get a plus one plus one counter, or the ability to proliferate one specific counter for three mana and activate. Which also works with its first ability, giving you like a four mana, put a counter on a one one creature. Realium, sorry, I'm gonna butcher your name, Realium or Realium, right? Would love to see how people make this go infinite. I brought the deck at the link below showing how you can go infinite in two ways, mill with grinding station or damage with goblin bombardment. Just have to get Pitiless Plunder or Thermoport on the board. I didn't find the Thermoport win, so Dan, if you can find the Thermoport win, let me know, but I think it might be a mistake. I have always wanted to get Animation Mode to work with Mono White Lifing, but couldn't get a Mana Enabler to get it going. So the deck list we're talking about here, proposed by... I'm going to say R Helium, that's my interpretation of the name. Probably a lot better than my try is using two interesting creatures that put plus one, plus one counters on them whenever you sacrifice something. Adding the plus one, plus one counter will trigger the animation module, so then you can generate another servo. So all you're missing is mana to keep the, the loop going. Uh, but they oh. work in slightly different ways. So Carrion Feeder would work if you had a Pitiless Plunderer in play. So Carrion Feeder works with Thermoport. Well, no. Car uh, hmm, is that true? No, it does, that's exactly what I meant, right? Thermoport does not work, right? Thermopod works with the other creature, which is Blood Aspirant, a lesser-known card. It's a 2-mana, oh. 2-1. Two two Whenever you sacrifice a permanent, yes. put a plus-1, one, plus-1 one counter on Blood Aspirant. So you can sacrifice the creature to the Thermopod to get your mana. Okay. With no mana, in fact. And then you grow the Blood Aspirant just by sacrificing <laughs> the creature, and then with your snow mana, you pay for the animation module. Exactly. I think the best combo here is the animation module plus Grinding Station or Goblin Bombardment and Pity Splendor. Because it's just like instant speed, infinite damage to the face, and you just... I think you can even go off if you have man in response to an opponent's removal, which is amazing. Interesting. So it never actually occurred to me to go infinite with animation module. Obviously, if you're familiar with the Hardened Scales deck in Modern, and sometimes in Pioneer, um, this is a staple there. It's gotten even better in Modern in the sense that Urza's Saga now allows you to find it whenever you want. You don't have to clutter up your deck with animation modules. Yes. One mana artifacts are, that's the perfect spot for an engine piece. The question is like, what is the engine we build from this? And yeah, it seems like there's a few different directions you could go. I drew that in the sideboard the two corbals that work both as combo pieces because they have the exact same text whenever you sacrifice for a counter and also the fact you can just outgrind with corbal because corbal is corbal. Yeah. So pretty fun idea, I really enjoy it. I think I would go for something a bit more not as all-in on some of the combos slash playing cards like in Double Hydraulic, but I really like the concept and I think you can really just play a lot of these combos easily. Also, fun fact, if you remove the thermoport, everything is gotten by the Imperial Recruiter. Oh, you want to go into modern? I guess this is, this is a modern deck. Hmm. Okay, I go, fair enough. When did I not go into modern? Well, <laughs> I mean, all right, Animation Module actually <laughs> has the right profile for a modern yeah, yeah. card. I have no complaints about that in this case. No, no, Animation Module is a modern power level card, maybe a bit on the weaker side, but it has seen play in modern for a while of time, mostly in hardened scale shells, so it's a card that has proved itself worthy of the format as long as you find a way to get a value out of it. One mana make a 1-1 one, one is always a lot of value, especially against Grindy decks. 
Like, it's bound to just throw them in value eventually. Or just combo them off. I suspect that Brian Madden would not at all be upset at this card one. I mean, he is the Artificer. He's played a lot of artifact combos. He has a note here about that he's tried this with Urza, Arcbomb Ravager, sort of the Meek-style stuff, and he thinks there's more space to brew for sure. But that's just one of the cards on the docket. We have several more to go, which brings us to our next card, Fight Rigging. Fight Rigging, 2 and a green enchantment with Hideaway 5. Hideaway 5 means when this enchantment enters the battlefield, look at the top 5 cards of your library, exile 1, face down, the rest go on the bottom in a random order. How do you unlock the hidden away card? Well, let's take a look. It says, at the beginning of combat on your turn, put a plus 1 plus 1 counter on target creature you control. Then, if you control a creature with power 7 or greater, you may play the exile card without paying its mana cost. So, tiny rant before we go into what Chris writes. Why the freaking hell does Fight Trigger doesn't enter the battlefield tab? Really, 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 really. I know it's just me being complaining full about stuff, but. Come on! Why doesn't it enter tapped? I don't, I don't know, it should. <laughs> it's an enchantment. <laughs> yeah, but it has Hideaway! Does it matter? Every single Hideaway card enters the battlefield tab. You know how many tapped effects I had with Broadback? If a thing should enter tapped, it enters tapped. Seeker of Tomorrow would be a modern playable card if Hideaway didn't have that secret little stuff. I feel like you're, you're giving an impassioned political speech and then I'm like the aide who has to rush up on stage and hand you a note saying that Hideaway has been eroded. <laughs> and you're just like, what? But, but it has said, look at Seeker of Tomorrow, it would be a good modern card if it didn't enter the battlefield tapped. Hideaway has been eroded, it no longer causes the card to enter tapped. Instead, they added an extra clause to all the previous hideaway cards. We talked about this card, actually. We spent a whole episode on fight rigging three weeks ago because there had been some really surprising Pioneer 5-0 lists with fight rigging. Some really weird stuff with, like, okay, get a Hooting Mandrels in play, give it plus two, plus two with Blossoming Defense, and then <laughs> trigger your fight rigging, get uh, get an Emrakul. It was wild stuff. I could not believe some of these decks 5-0'd. But David and I took a crack at this three or four different concepts. I played like a mono green stompy version of Pioneer. Actually, that's up on our YouTube channel. There's definitely stuff to do with this, a lot of surprising stuff to do with this, which I think Chris, who nominated this card, has some of that in mind. He writes that I'm choosing this card because I believe it can be the engine of a top tier deck with multiple ways to play it and trigger the hideaway ability on turn three. The potential for mad fun is almost endless. Playing cards like Emergent Ultimatum, yes. Omniscience, yes. That's too good on turn three. He also knows that if you find a way to blink the fight rigging, you can just get repeated hideaway triggers. Could fight rigging be Faithless Brewing's pet project that delivers the trophies? Well, I don't know, Chris. I mean, I, I left my testing with fight rigging feeling like, okay, actually triggering hideaway is actually quite realistic. I was surprised at how reliable it was. The trick is like, how much of your deck do you want to give over to these uncastable cards? And how much do you want to just play like a responsible deck that occasionally gets a fight rigging, you know, just like a bonus card off of it. And I'm not sure what the right balance is there. I think it, it would take definitely a lot of testing and tuning to get the mix right. So the biggest part about fight rigging is exactly that. What's the perfect spot between being a small, maybe between quotes, creator deck that's just going to have a lot of upside from its second paragraph and how... The main way of saying it's how many Emrakuls can I feed in my mono red in my mono green deck? <laughs> like, 
Like uh, the mono green devotion deck in Pioneer plays one nickel bolus now. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's, because... ex- it's exactly that. <laughs> like how many absolute smashing hits can I play on my deck that's just playing creatures to enable the fight tree? Like what's the correct balance in that dance? Right, so like the deck I was playing was mono green, and the best things you could get off fight rigging were Great Henge, Collected Company, and like Steel Leaf Champions. Nothing game ending, but and yeah, but I mean the two man. What's the name of the? You just said the name. The twelve mana card. Great Henge. Resolving a Great Henge is gonna win you most games. I mean, I thought so, but the opponents kept drawing farewell, and then it was just like, so <laughs> annoying. It knocked out the hand and the fight breaking at the same time. It's so annoying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I think that Emergent Ultimatum, which Chris notes in his little plug here, is one of those cards that's right in the sweet spot of like, okay, this will end the game, but it's also somewhat castable if you don't do the fight breaking thing. Yeah. That's exactly what you should be doing, I think. Make sure your deck works as much without targeting as you can, but make sure you can exploit it whenever you draw it. All right, next card up. We have a card I really love coming next, which is Resurgion Belief. No mana cost, sorcery, suspend, one and a white, suspend two, return all enchantment cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. Audas with nothing to enchant remain in your graveyard. I love this card. Cumberly Frights, Javier Alats. Resurgion Belief, the other cascade card that hasn't seen much success in its release last year, which is surprising given how powerful its effect is. This is exactly the criteria we look for in the Faithless family for new brews. Firstly, the card is an easy sell to more because enchantment decks lend themselves to well to the Sky Noodle. I'm an easy sell, what can I say? I'm a simple man. Secondly, <laughs> I think you have really you have a really interesting deck due to the number of versatile enchantments you can play. Since Cryful Search enter the battlefield card type enchantment. And thirdly, there are actually a bunch of tube infinite man enchantment card combos that could only be feasible in a resurgent belief deck. I think Belief is just screaming to be cracked in half, so hoping the voting body politic feels the same way. Cheers, Cumberleaf. Okay. So, Social Belief, I think, lends itself to two ways of building the deck, which is casting from my hand against cascading into it. From my hand leads myself to a lot of cycling effects, which allows me to play like some combo decks, for example, with Faithful Mending and such, and then other new card. So Faithful Mending, and what's the name of the blue-black? Tainted Indulgence. And Tainted Indulgence in order to discard amazing enchantments that I can reanimate, like Omniscience plus X. Or you can build it in a more of a cascading way, where you just play a lot of cycle enchantments, like the four mana cycle for one removal, Shark Typhoon, um, Lake Lame, and Colossal Sky Turtle in that you play your early game plus mid game with enchantment based cycling and then you just get everything back in a way that you don't rely on stuff like living in that doesn't depend on your opponent having a graveyard and you can play a really controlling deck with like Supreme Verdict that just keep your opponent's board clear until you just win with it. Yeah, my first thought for Resurgent Belief was this is never going to be better than Living End, so why bother? But I think Camberleaf is exactly right. Like you can just cast this, right? <laughs> you can just suspend it on turn two and it comes off in two turns. It's the same rate as Profane Tutor. And that's like a whole different, that opens up a whole different horizon, right? You don't have to build a Cascade deck. You can just draw it and use it. And for that reason alone, it's like worthy of its own exploration. 
setting aside the whole, okay, it's a graveyard-based thing, living end is better, etc. Like, that, that's no longer the discussion. Yeah, exactly. The other thing is you can just play other cards like Electro... Electro-dominance. Electro-dominance might be just a bit too greedy, but something like As Foretold would be amazing. I'm intrigued by the As Foretold, yeah. Um, if you want to go for more of that enchantment rebuy angle, Starfield of Nyx could be a win-con that also rebuys enchantments. Or Soul Sisters Call, if we want to just play something really terrible. Lay Claim is bound to win you some games. Oh yeah, Lay Claim. Yeah, a Fable of the Mirror Breaker would probably be a part of this equation. Oh, that's an excuse to play Fable. Now I'm interested. Now I want this to win, just because I'm looking for an excuse to play Fable for a month now. I want you to play that card, I just can't find that egg for it. <laughs> because it's 3 mana tap down at sorcery speed. Plimps Elementals, I guess that's the, the new home in modern. Yeah, yeah, but I want to win as well, that's the problem. <laughs> you know? Well, if Resurgent Belief wins this vote, I mean, you'll have your chance. And I'm gonna go deep. However, we have, I think, eight more cards to go. And this next one here, I gotta say, this is my favorite. This is the one that I'm rooting for. It's Unexpected Results. Unexpected Results. Two green-blue sorcery. Shuffle your library, then reveal the top card. If it's a non-land card, you may cast it without paying its mana cost. If it's a land card, you may put it onto the battlefield and return unexpected results to its owner's hand. So, okay, four mana sorcery, that's a lot. What am I getting? Well, you're either getting <laughs> the opportunity to immediately cast your Eldrazi Titan with the cast trigger, right? You're actually casting for free, so cast the Ulamog, get the trigger. Cast the Emrakul, get the trigger. And if you whiff, quote-unquote whiff, right, hitting a land, well, you get the land, so you ramped, and you put the unexpected results back into your hand. Um, so it's like win-win, right? Win-win. Land, I think, is less than a whiff than a two- or three-mana spell, right? That's true. If you hit a one-drop or a two-drop, you just get that. That's the worst part. However, let's dream big for a second. So unexpected results, nominated by Tombow Catcher. Who writes, are you old enough to have gambled over magic or young enough to want to? I think this card is about the closest you can get to doing that in-game. Cast it and you'll hit anything from an Elvish Mystic to an Ulamog. And then he notes that, okay, there's a lot of variants involved, obviously, and people are allergic to stuff like that. So you don't see a lot of people seriously trying this. But there have been a lot of recent printings that can mitigate some of this. Especially MDFCs, double face cards that are castable or usable in the front half, but give you something of tremendous mana value on the backside. Turn Timber Symbiosis. I played a deck a few months back that used Turn Timber Symbiosis and Amerio's Call and Seagate Restoration. Right, these are my my mana base is also good on special results hits. Yeah. Channel cards like Colossal Sky Turtle, Tombow Catcher notes Magma Opus. Another card that like you can just sort of get it out of your hand early. Maybe it's there alongside Torrential Gearhulk, but you can also unexpected results and try to like strike it big. Tombow Catcher says he thinks there are enough of these now to make unexpected results unexpectedly good. <laughs> well said. <laughs> so the biggest problem I see here is how do you make sure you win the like Let's just say you actually go four mana Hidabalki. You're just paying one less mana than you would pay for a Bring to Light that's gonna guarantee you Valky. Yes, but you're you're paying four mana for the chance at a Valky and the chance at something even bigger, 
right? So yes, like you got the Velky that time, but also subsidizing you for the chance that you actually hit the Emrakul the next time, right? Like you have to just accept the little odds, right? They add up to something sweet. <laughs> so I do think you, you are incentivized to like play something really, really big. Like I, I do think in this case, you should go as high as the Titans. Although I've tried decks that, that actually stop at seven mana, like they stop at Valky and they stop at turn timber symbiosis. And that's like a little bit less exciting. I think I had combustible gear Hulk in that deck, which was kind of funny. <laughs> Why? <laughs> to go to punish them for, for letting you flip three cards. But uh, apart from that deck, which was kind of silly, like there, there is some history with unexpected results. This is an old card. It's been around for a long time. Yeah. And some early Faith is Brewing history, for those of you who have not been with us since the beginning, right? we spent probably the first year of this podcast really working on Five Color Niv Mizzet. Damon and myself took an early version of Niv to Grand Prix Minneapolis. And Damon actually started off really hot. He, he got a feature match, got a couple of feature matches and a deck tech. And you can find all this on the Channel Fireball Twitter account. May they rest in peace. Um, I'll, I'll put the links in the episode description where he gives the early Niv deck tech. I'm just going to stop here for a second and say, so we can see eight cards in Damon's battlefield. Five out of them are normal, usual, circlands and lands, followed by modern and unplayable Assassin's Trophy, Magic Unplayable Wayfarer's Quest, <laughs> and format used to staple card lover Huntmaster of the Fells. That's what Neve was all about. What's wrong with Huntmaster of the Fells? It was good value. <laughs> it's a Neve hit. <laughs> also, this is from 2019, okay? This is before Modern Horizons, or at least before Modern Horizons 2. This was before Modern Horizons 1, because Way- Wayfarer's Quest died with Brennan 6. Safe right quest is the card you mean. Safe right quest. What's Wayfarer's quest? Nothing, frankly. I think you're you're thinking of Wayfarer's bubble, but safe right quest is the hybrid green white. Yeah, yeah. Search your library for a, a planes or. A no, I go. I confuse. I'm just showing whether Wayfarer because it also looks me for lands in my other in my deck at that time because I was playing mono white taxes with that. This Grand Prix was like or this deck tech at least, was Five Color Niv's debut to the wider viewing audience. <laughs> it gives a sweet deck tech explaining, actually a really nice job in one minute, just like what the deck is trying to do, how it works. And then it's all into the feature match area. What does he get paired against? He gets paired against Nathan Graves playing Unexpected Results Tron. <laughs> so regular Tron, right? Tron lands, Emrakul's, Ulamogs, Karn Liberated's, Emrakul's in a Tron deck? Yep, because he's also playing Simic Signets. And uh, what is the blue-green talisman? Talisman of something. Um, the soap. Simic Signet and soap. <laughs> Every single Simic Signet looks like soap bar. Yes, the, the original Simic Signet looks like the Fight Club logo. <laughs> but Talisman of uh, Curiosity, I think, is the one that taps for green or blue. So he, he's trying to use his Tron mana base to actually support casting both Urza, Lord High Artificer, and Unexpected Results. But that's not that's not a talisman. That's a signet. That thing on the board. That's a semi signet. Oh, I'm looking at the deck tech, or I'm looking at the deck list, which is a couple tweets down in the thread. Oh, I'm looking at I, I'm looking at Damon's face in disbelief as its opponent has a distrust steering with a soap on board. <laughs> so that's that's maybe spoiling the ending, right? Uh, this unexpected results Tron deck just completely crushed our beloved five color Niv. Five Color Niv wins when it's the biggest deck at the table, but you're not the biggest deck at the table against a deck trying to either hardcast 
or flip into an Emrakul or an Ulamog on turn three. So I just found Damon's list, and I'm just gonna say, damn, we were bad at deck building. <sighs> this was post MH1, and we have only three Brennan Six, only two Teferis, one Safe Ride Quest, one Thought Erasure, a one of Koal. I mean, keep in mind, this, this was like Hogak Summer, so whatever you're imagining is like the correct build, we're just gonna lose the Hogak anyway. We were just trying to do our best. We both made day two with this. We both cashed. Like, it was a successful tournament for Niv. No, no, that's... I mean, I'm just laughing at the one of Handmaster, one of Tolsimir, one of Thought Erasure just hiding among the sidelines. Well, yeah, because, I mean, Niv is not good unless it hit, draws six cards, right? Ah, uh, the good old days. This was the thinking back then, because you had to prove the naysayers wrong. I mean, the thing is that, like, both Niv and Unexpected Results have a bit of showmanship to them. And that's why I love these cards so much. Like, resolving them, there's a flair to it. Like, okay, flip the top 10 cards. What do I get? You pull them out one by one, and the opponent's like, oh my gosh, how was that legal? And it's the same with unexpected results, right? You shuffle the deck, shuffle, 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 offer them a cut, dramatic flip. Is it a lightning helix? Is it a Rulamak? <laughs> right? Hopefully not a lightning helix. But you get the picture, right? Yeah. You want to like have that moment of like physical drama for, for the spectators. So I hope that if Unexpected Results does do well in the voting, that we can maybe recapture some of that magic. So, besides the fact I don't want Unexpected Results to win because I <laughs> hate this effect when it fizzles, like... You have not seen me resolve Collected Company, guys, because that was way back when I started playing Magic. I was really a Collected Company player. The tilt and my four mana do nothings I experience when I fail is not enough for the happiness I get when I resolve a turn for Rula Ball. Vote for unexpected results. You're going to see me suffer unexpected if you do. Results. Unexpected results. So, <laughs> Make more suffer. Make unexpected more results. Sadly, my... Come on, people. No, I'm just going to say this, and you're going to hear me say this again, because after this, we're going back to the first recording with me and Brian. Uh, so I want to ask before that, Dan, you know all the cards in here. What do you want to... What do, are you hoping that wins? I just answered. Unexpected results. No, no, no don't sure. hear him. No, no, that's 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 fine. <laughs> He wants Vivian Sargo to win, everybody. Trust me. Unexpected results. Final answer. Final answer? No, I'm just hoping for Vivian Sargo because it was my first brew ever. All right. Well, you'll have to make the pitch for that after I depart. Exactly. So this is where I leave you here um, because this is the point where our original recordings episode came back to life. At the same time Danny's leaving was the same time someone's whose name I won't ever mention that might rhyme with Iggy had to leave us and well that leaves us me and brian who's recording work so you're just gonna now hear this conversation starting right around here with the two of us all right looking forward to it thanks any thanks so much Anne. see you next time see ya bye bye And Brian, once a while we have been forsaken by our companions at the last minutes. Well, you know, we'll just have to hold down the fort by ourselves. As per usual, 
And would you like to talk about the Fever Visions? Sure. Uh, this one was nominated by Darshik. It is Fevered Visions 1, blue, red, for an enchantment that reads, At the beginning of each player's end step, that player draws a card. If the player is your opponent and has four or more cards in hand, Fevered Visions deals two damage to him or her. Uh, and Darshik writes, It replaces itself and deals damage. How bad could it be? Well, Darshik, I'm sure if this wins, we can show you just how low this card can go. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, so the way I see this, this is like the, the polar opposite of something like a Waste Knot deck, right? Like the Rack. Like in those decks, you want to force the opponent to discard and go down on resources. I see this as the opposite, where you would want to give them so many cards, but then prevent them from using any of them in any meaningful way so that they're just taking the damage turn after turn. Is that going to be good? Almost certainly not. I don't know how we prevent them from casting things from hand, other than maybe doing like a harmless offering and giving the opponent an experimental frenzy, which has its own problems, right? And hope they don't play red. And <laughs> yeah, play right. And hope they play control and get locked out and they never fight prismatic ending on top. Uh, the other thing maybe you could do is pair it with like mana denial, um, or counter spells. I, you know, I don't know. It, uh, it seems like a really wonky card to try and win with, but maybe we should blood with our opponents. <laughs> I really appreciate your faith in a starship or I appreciate whatever twisted, I don't know. I don't know what this is supposed to be, but this is this is definitely a spicy card, and I am afraid for my tickets pile if uh, if it wins. Yeah. So, beat of a hard one. If it wins, I promise to do my best to just plan to lock my opponents out of the game and kill them with fever patience. <laughs> However, it does lead nicely to another three man enchantment that's also blue, which is. Moderation. Moderation, once again voted, this time Benjamin Brights. I'm nominating this card because Mord clearly failed us by absentmindedly submitting a moderation list without Shark Typhoon. I admit I was an idiot, you don't have to keep punishing me for my silly mistakes. But Dag Navide was inspired by the crew's recent musings on this card and I'm bound and determined to push for persistent playtesting until we as a community have decidedly proven that this is either an unplayable atrocity or broken in half in modern. And I agree completely, this card doesn't have enough testing. I'm still not sure if it's great or terrible, because I have not played enough leagues with it and the ones I played I made bad decisions and it still worked, which leaves me in that weird spot where did it work because I was lucky? Or is it actually good and I just wasn't able to prove it? Yeah, you know, this is one that I, I've i never particularly had much faith in, to be honest. I, I don't know, maybe you can find recordings of me earlier saying the opposite. But, <laughs> you know, three mana, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like there's better ways to draw cards. Uh, and the the downside of only being able to cast one spell per turn is a pretty big downside. But that said, you know, if you are in a deck that can make use of this, you're now drawing three cards per turn cycle, which is great. You know, keeping that handful, it just uh, it feels like it sets you up to be played around pretty easily, right? Like if you're playing a control deck, your opponent knows that they can just bait the first counter spell out of you and then you can't do anything. So I, I don't know what you would want to play this in. I mean, it, control seems most natural, but it also 
really takes some of the some some of the the thinking out of control i guess or or it it uh takes some of the mind games out maybe yeah maybe i think the biggest key with this is exactly what i'm being criticized for not running shark typhoon which is making the least out of that downside by playing the biggest amount of false creatures of false spells right Timeless mm-hmm. Dragon, Shark Typhoon, Colossal, Sky, Colossal, the name of the Sky Turtle, Turtle, and hoping for the best. And I think that was actually working quite well when I tried it alongside Peach Elementals. Yeah, I mean, uh, what's the, uh, there was a, the red, it's like a seven mana red creature, nine mana red creature that the fourth time you cycle it, you, you get to put it into play. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, I don't remember the name, the Turtle. Yeah, so maybe maybe this is you know, maybe this is like turtle tribal here. Maybe we get the the colossal sky turtle. We get the uh, the uh, Yadaro wandering monster. Yes, there we go. So maybe that's what it is. Is we're looking for like a Jeskai deck where we get to just spend our mana on cycling stuff and channeling, and that seems great. And maybe we just play like the three mana. No, no, that's a bad idea. Stop me. I, I'm gonna stop myself before I even say it. <laughs> So yeah, moderation is a card I love. I would be really happy if it wins because I wasn't showing the Shorion builds with control the Shorion control builds we did. So I wouldn't mind it winning at all. After that, we go down to Brian. This is one I think you will enjoy. Ah uh, yes, the Necrotic Ooze. This one was nominated by First Turn Negator. Uh, our our favorite uh, Grixis Brewer. Mausoleum Secrets Brewer. Yeah, Mausoleum Secrets Brewer. Uh, guest on Serum Visions and Faithless Brewing. Uh, anyway, uh, first turn Negator writes, uh, Ooze has been brewing, a, been a brewing white whale of mine for a long time. Combos with every creature with an activated ability. Some highlights being Fauna Shaman, Grist, Kikijiki, Razaketh, so it must be broken. Pre MH two, I was once I once top decked a burn spell away from a five O with a necrotic grizzle brand Borborigmos deck. The biggest <laughs> shortcoming of the deck was the surrounding enablers available at the time. Sorry, magmatic channeler. In today's modern, we can upgrade to cookbook shredder, tainted indulgence, an unmarked grave, as well as some new abilities. Hello, Grist. Hello, Scourge Familiar. Hello, Garth One Eye. Uh, and for those not in the know, Necrotic Ooze is two black black for a creature ooze. As long as Necrotic Ooze is on the battlefield, it has all activated abilities of all creature cards in all graveyards, and it is a 4-3. So the biggest part is the combination of getting enough effects on the graveyard that you want this, and also being able to cast your four mana creature. So it has to win you the game, right? We have reached a point in modern where if you're going to dump down four mana as a sorcery, Either wins you the game or gets you pretty damn close. Yeah. I wonder if there's something here with like a Demir shell. You know, we have um, Consider, we have uh, Otherworldly Gaze. So we've got some... Tainted Indulgence. Yeah, we've got a lot of ways to just start chucking stuff in the graveyard. Um, The problem is like, what are we putting in the graveyard? Yeah, I think that's the biggest decision. Maybe a little bit of Double Strike, uh, a little bit of... uh, Haste? I don't know. We want all no. the abilities, really. It's activated, so not on that path. Oh, activated abilities. Oh. Oh. So this this is not Green Flayer, Soul Flayer, sorry. Yep. yep. So 
the, the key here is stuff like, I think it's A, stuff that doesn't need tapping down. I mean, Gath 1i would be really fun. But needing this to survive is a really big ask. You know, you see two black black for a necrotic ooze. I see two black black for a one four artificer human. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, maybe. That's exactly what this could be. But also, I think stuff like Grist is really fun. Yeah. Or Skirsh Familiar is also amazing because... You just start making mana with discarding cards, which alongside like a crystal run might just be a win con, right? Yeah. Because if you get a crystal run down and a skill familiar, you just have pay seven life, cross seven cards, and make five, six black mana to cast anything and go off. Yeah, no, I think Grist is definitely the most interesting uh, of these options. The fact that Grist has access as removal, a way to fill your graveyard, and as a good creature to get in your graveyard. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm I'm actually uh, I'm more excited about this card than I was. So uh, yeah, <laughs> this is a card that there's always something be- behind it, right? Like it's always interesting, and the Grizzle and more worrying most combo is also amazing, right? Like draw thirty, just throw all your lands at your opponent. Yeah, well, and uh, you know, there's uh, there's some always some interesting combinations. Like if you can get the uh, the Grizzle Brain in the graveyard and and draw a bunch of cards then discard a bunch of cards to, uh, you know, make 2-2 bear tokens or something. Like, we can really <laughs> go deep on bad ideas here. Yeah, as long as you can get a crystal run in your graveyard, Necroticals has to be one of the most efficient ways to get it back. So, yeah, that's interesting. And then we go down to Death Cloud. Garden by Arty Troll Brights. Well, this is a pet card for me and a lot of others. Powerful effect, but difficult to make work in modern. Death Crowd, triple black and X. Each player loses X life, discards X cards, sacrifices X creatures, then sacrifices X lands. Which means you lose practically anything that's not a planeswalker, an artifact, or an enchantment. Yep. This, uh, this just screams mono black Tron or Cabal Coffers to me. Um, really? Yeah, I mean, well... I have only lost against Deathcloud once, and it was out of... a Carthy one-eye shell with a lot of Planeswalkers at Trump, like the Garruks and such. And a lot of Utopia Spirit Armor Elf, and they just go like, turn one Armor Elf, turn two Garruk, turn three Garruk, turn four Deathcloud, we sacrifice all our lands, and I just win with my Garruks. Okay, yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, I don't know. I yeah, Maybe that's probably the smarter way. But, uh, you know, this just kind of reminds me a little bit of... Um, Invoke Calamity? Or what was the... There's a... I think it's from, like, Amonkhet era. Um, it's the, the the more common Mono Black Tron win con where... Ah, oh, crap, what is it? Uh, I don't know. Jiggy played a Mono Black Tron deck that played it, and it's an X and... I think black or X black black or something and get to deal a bunch of damage and force the opponent to sacrifice a bunch of stuff. And, you know, similar effect, similar effect, but I think actually easier mana cost. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I don't know. This one's cool. The artwork is also very cool. I I think it's a little bit more interesting because it's symmetrical, so, you know. That's the hard part, yeah. You have to make sure you're willing to lose your lands in order to... Like, you need to be willing to Armageddon. Yeah. Yep. 
So yeah, fun card. We will fight itself for if it wins and just see if it's like Mono Black Tron or just like, I don't know, Golgari Coffers. Yeah, Coffers is hard though. Coffers is Coffers hard. Coffers is hard. And then we go to one of my favorites because this was actually the first card. This was my first brew in Magic. So this was actually the first time I actually managed to make an egg on my own alongside um, Hammer Master Lablashan. When he was playing the boat and I was playing Green White Memory, he was the first like semi-pro player to help me with a brew. And that's Bibian's Arcbow. When in a green for a legendary artifact, you pay X, tap, discard a card, look at the top X cards of your library, you may put a creature card with converted mana cost X or less from among them straight into the battlefield. Put the rest of the bottom of your library in any order. Shad Strobe writes, Oh, I remember being very interested in this card when it came out. It lets you turn anything into action, but the spell it casts is very limited. Your library needs a bunch of creatures and likely was to play at instant speed, so you can choose between spells and a surprise arc bow shot. This was suggested by Mooch as something I submit, and I'm really curious to see how it could be used to build something flexible and powerful enough to win some magic. So I was playing this in a devoted Druid shell, four of these alongside really good creatures like Resto shell. We were playing, we didn't have Solitude and Grief, so we were playing the four mana Chupacabra from Ixalan as a creature removal spell. We had a lot of link effects and we had Revelark as the top end. So we wanted to ideally use Arcbow for five and just hit stuff. I remember once in a game of Magic, I was playing for Night of Reliquary in this deck and my opponent just went Supreme Verdict. And I activated the Arcbow in response, and I hit a Revelark, and I just like, my, the, the Revelark enters the battlefield, it dies in the verdict, and I get back like to 12, 12 nights of the Reliquary to sing for lethal. Sweet, sweet. So, it's a really fun card, it's sort of Bialesque in its essence, in that you need to play this early, and it's really helping you smooth out your game. All of a sudden, everything you draw is cast. Everything you draw becomes action, right? Yep. So it's a really interesting card that I really like, and I think it might actually have a home. Like I have been hoping to go back into this, and I was just waiting for an excuse. So if this wins, I promise to do my best, because I love toolbox decks, and I love fun artifacts that allow me to get creatures to play. So this goes right up my alley. Yeah, this one is super sweet. I don't like the fact that it costs X, but I do like the fact that I can make X cheaper by playing um, the tragically underplayed Zerta. And, uh, you know, there are other ways to pay artifact costs. You know, you have uh, Dalakos or you have um, um, uh, Grand Architect or you have uh, other things like that. So that is pretty sweet. Um, You know, as we know, discarding a card can be good. And the fact that this can be activated on your opponent's end step is pretty nice. So Yeah, this forces your opponent to always be ready for anything. And if you just play like a devoted shell in it, all of a sudden, or even Sirda alongside the devoted ruin combo with Vivian Sarko and Stoneforge Mystic, which are all good kids for this, your opponent has to be always on their toes because end step Sirda into end step devoted is just going to crush them. Yeah, yeah. No, I uh, I think this could be a sweet one, and I, I definitely agree. This hasn't really turned into anything, but it seems like it should. Yeah, it's, it's close. It's always close. It just never got there. Yeah. And the next card is pretty similar. Two mana <laughs> artifact that gets you creatures into play. We have Fire of Heroes. So we went from a two mana toolbox artifact to a two mana toolbox artifact. 
So I'm not gonna mind if any of these two wins the eventual voting. Spell of Heroes, two mana artifact. Pay two mana, tap, sacrifice a creature, set your library for a creature card that shares a creature card, a creature type with a sacrifice creature, and has converted mana cost equal to one plus the one you sacrifice. So it's a two mana port that requires two mana to activate and requires you to look for a creature with the same creature types. Yeah. Which that right there is the is like the puzzle in a nutshell, right? Like exactly, how can you construct your deck in a way where you have enough overlapping coverage that you can go up the chain, which presumably cannot be all the same creature type because that would be pretty insane and probably force you to to play a bunch of bad creatures. So you need to have like multiple creature types on your creatures so that you can get up the chain with you know sort of overlapping coverage. So there's. I think two ways to do this. I, I mean, I have seen it succeed, or at least get five O's in two ways. The first one is just humans with extraction specialists and renegade rallyer. Yeah, okay, that one's fair. Yep, yep. It's just every you have a lot of humans you can sacrifice a champion of the parish, get a Talia or a Talia's lieutenant, and then you sacrifice a Talia's lieutenant. You get a three. You get a renegade rallyer, bring back Talia's lieutenant, and you just need yourself a three four three and a two two. Yeah. Alongside buffing the rest of the room. So that's like the base setup. And then you have the really, really, really bad idea, really bad idea of playing Chaselings and Magda and using this to get literally any creature by sacrificing a Chaseling and just sacrifice like a 1 1, get a Magda because it's a dwarf and just win via Magda stuff. All right, I like Magda stuff. It's not good, but it's fun. Exactly. So yeah, that's like plan B. Yeah, you know, I was I was hopeful for this card. Um, I was hopeful we might be able to make it work in some sort of Urza deck uh, with artificers or, or something like that. And it's tough, man. It's tough. These uh, these cards really ask you to to do a lot of mental gymnastics to come up with the right construction, and then they end up being just slightly underpowered. I think unless you're going for you know, humans, which is uh, the largest tribe by quite a wide margin. <laughs> yeah, you're always going to have a decent human for the show at hand. Like, you, sh- you right. have ranging stuff from Yogmoth to Ursa to Talia's Lieutenant to Thraven Inspector to Extraction Specialist. Mm-hmm. There's a human for every show. And that's a huge part of why that might be the key. And... Yeah, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't mind if any of these two cards wins. I'm in love with both of them for really different things, and that leads us to the final card, which I think is right up your alley, Brian. So, huh. So this final card is three and a red for an instant that reads: as an additional cost to cast this spell, discard a card, draw two cards, and create two treasure tokens. Uh, and this is called Big Score. Uh, This was nominated by Timothy Lepp, who writes, I once fever dreamt of me casting a galvanic iteration into a big score on my opponent's end step, into casting a 10,000-year storm, and then casting an invoke, exiling the iteration in big score, which was 16 damage with a follow-up shock. Unfortunately, each time I have gone to build this deck, it looks way too clunky, though it does showcase the highest highs of big score, and I think this card is underexplored in Pioneer in specific. Well, as somebody who does not play Pioneer or has not played Pioneer in quite some time, I can't speak to that aspect of it, but uh, the mana cost on this 
as well as the additional cost and then uh, the payoff does make me a little bit nervous. I don't know. This card is interesting. There's a lot to like. Uh, it is making two treasures, which are, you know, a, a way of giving you a mana rebate. Uh, but it, you do have to discard a card to cast it. So you're only, uh, you're, you're card neutral here, right? Because you're spending a card and discarding a card to get two new ones. Yeah, you're card neutral up to treasures. Yeah. Uh, so you're filtering through your deck uh, for two mana, basically. And uh, I don't know. I'm not sure where I would want to play this. I like your ideas of uh, some of this galvanic iteration and and what whatnot. Um, you know, copying this definitely seems like the way to go to try and get a little bit more for your your mana. But uh, this would be a bit of a head scratcher for me, especially in modern. Uh, this yeah. might be one where I would I would almost certainly go into pioneer, like you suggested. This is a pioneer card because yeah. it's good in pioneer, but it lacks a perfect shell. So yeah, this is mostly for Pioneer, but it's an interesting one. It's a pretty powerful effect that allows you to really go through your deck. And if you manage to copy it via any sort of invoke, or like if you manage to cheat this card in any way with like a Galvanic iteration, then it's amazing. Like all of a sudden it's six mana, draw four and get four treasures back. So you're like right back at where you started with your mana or setting up for a huge turn. Yeah, four mana, then you can do something like cast another big score. Yeah, exactly. And you just go off. Yeah. So yeah, interesting card that I think it's worth at least paying attention to what it could do. And with that being said, we are all out of cards. 16 amazing show, uh, amazing ideas. I would love at least three of them to win. Brian, who are you favoring? Uh, that's a tough one for me. I Dark Bow could be really fun. I don't know. I, I think fight rigging animation module are probably my top picks, actually. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'm alongside um, the Arc Bow or the Pyro of Heroes. I really want to just play a toolbox deck for these because that's my sham. Toolbox decks are fun. Toolbox decks are fun. They're good ideas and they really allow for brewing because you can play toolbox combo, toolbox mid range, hate bears. You have a lot of ideas going around all the time. Yep, yep. So yeah, hope you guys enjoy the suggestions. We are really hoping for some of them to win. I'm going to do my best to get all of you to vote for a toolbox idea. And hope you enjoy the show. Ryan, thanks so much for joining me. Had a yeah. really fun time. Shiggy, as usual, a trader. Cape Dan, a trader. But I can always try some <laughs> new to join me till the end. Of course, of course. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, Brian. Bye-bye, everybody. And hope you have a nice day. Bye-bye. See you next month. Visit our homepage, faithisbrewing.com, for deck lists, bonus content, and more. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing to get access to our Discord channel and cast your vote for our next monthly project. Make your voice heard and come brew with us. That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. There's no chance I expect it. I will see that any of the two toolbox cards wins. I will sell my boat. I will go, everybody, anybody that votes for this card gets their own personalized brew with it.